Well, welcome. Thanks again for joining us. My name is Jerry, one of the teaching pastors here. We are in the midst of a series called Comeback Stories. And the idea is that starting on Easter Sunday, we saw the greatest comeback story of all time. Jesus Christ, Son of God, coming to the earth, living a perfect sinless life, and then experiencing a sinner's death. And after three days, rose from the dead. And scripture says that that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is offered to us through the power of his Holy Spirit. So I know many of you here this morning, and I don't know some of you, obviously, but I know that there's many comeback stories represented here this morning. People that have experienced difficulty and trials and tribulations, and yet God has allowed you to be an overcomer. And everybody needs a comeback story, and we're hoping that a year from now and five years from now, these seats will be filled with many, many more who have gone from death to life, both in their spiritual life and become a follower of Jesus, and in that sense, spiritually been raised to life, but also in your daily existence, having a comeback story, overcoming addictions, tribulations, difficulties. And last week, we talked about the story of Elijah, and we talked about a very hard message about somebody who had experienced the highest of highs and saw God work in incredible ways. First Kings chapter 18 saw the Lord show up in an unbelievable fashion as fire came down from heaven and consumed a sacrifice miraculously in the presence of all these people. Incredible spiritual victory. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here last week or you're just visiting, check out the story in First Kings chapter 18. Unbelievable. But then Elijah went from, yes, God is amazing. God is awesome. God is powerful. And I'm just kind of the conduit that allows him to work and do all this stuff to almost immediately, bam, Depression, distressed, afraid, alone. And I don't know if anybody else has ever been there where you feel like everything's going great and then a series of circumstances or even just one event happens and all of a sudden it's, Jesus, take the wheel, you know, take it from my hand. I don't know what I'm doing and I don't understand what you're doing and I'm feeling all alone. In 1 Kings chapter 19 is a totally different story than 1 Kings chapter 18. Because we enter into a man who is at his wit's end, is discouraged and in darkness and confused. And we talk about how that story intersects our lives. And I don't know what your experience is with discouragement seeping down into depression and issues of the mind and issues of the heart and issues of the soul, but it's something that's very near and dear and serious to many of us. And there's probably several different types of people in here. Maybe you're the kind of person that you don't get discouraged easily and you're just kind of upbeat and happy and fun. And when we're talking about valleys and darkness and discouragement, you're like, what are you talking about? I know for me, I don't know if anybody here has heard of the Strengths Finder test. You know, it's one of those personality tests. And so I take that. And the one that always ranks way up here is positivity. You know, I was like, hey, you know what? It's okay. Whatever happens, like, yeah, that's all right. I can tend to be a very positive person. So issues of discouragement and depression are somewhat foreign to me, although I have had periods where the enemy can definitely get you down. 
But maybe for others, maybe it's personality, maybe it's circumstance, maybe it's issues, maybe it's tragedy, maybe it's something else. And you find yourself, as many people in the world do, at terrible circumstances of the mind and of the heart where it's difficult to go on. Or maybe you're somebody that's experiencing that with a family member or with a friend or a coworker. Undoubtedly, this issue is, is major. And as a staff, after last Sunday, we said after discussions in life groups and lots of great conversations that we want to have part two of that. We want to give people, our people, our family, some real live examples of how to overcome and having people invite you into their own personal story as it dealt with depression, as it dealt with discouragement, deep discouragement. And how did God use those things? So again, I don't know what your experience is of that as far as emotional health and mental health. I always thought that I was pretty good. In high school, you know, you're filling out those forms for physicals or even when you go into a new doctor because insurance changes every year and all that stuff, right? You're filling out all this stuff and forever and ever and ever on that one line that says, is there any history of mental problems in, in, in your family? I'm like, no. The very first Christmas, we were home, and my wife was there at our home in New Jersey, there with my mom and dad, and we are just talking around the table, and my, my wife uh, loves to find out people's stories, and she's like, Mom, you know, tell us about your mom. My grandmother on my mother's side had passed away when I was maybe three or four, super young, don't even really remember her, but all of a sudden, my dad jumps right in. He's like, well, she was in and out of mental hospitals for months at a time. And it's like the record just stopped, like, like, wait, what? Never heard anything about this. And my mom's like, Richard. All right, well, yeah, it's true. She was in mental hospitals for months at a time. Paranoid and schizophrenic and major issues that I never even knew about. You ever make one of those fantastic discoveries about your family history? But it's a reality for many of us. Even though I didn't know it, now it causes you to think a lot more about it. So what we want to really dive into this morning and what we want to share with you is what does it look like when we take those principles that were talked about last week in the life of Elijah, what does it look like in people's lives? Again, if you weren't here last week or if you were here, just to remind you, these were the principles that we saw in the life of Elijah going from the mountaintop down to the depths of despair. And this is what God used to bring him out and remind him about his purpose, right? The first one, embrace the help that God provides. You remember that the Lord sustained him even when he was out in the wilderness, brought him nourishment, brought him food. See God for who he really, truly is. It's not just uh, some magician, not somebody that's at your beck and call, not somebody that works on your timeline. Right? You remember Elijah? All right, this is great. God came through. The nation of Israel is going to turn back. God's using me as a prophet to be successful. This is fantastic. You remember he started running all the way back to Jezreel, you know, where, where the kingdom was and ahead of the king. And one commentator even said he thought, perhaps, Elijah thought that this was a victory processional because people would always run in front of the chariots as they go back to the hometown saying victory has been had. And you'll remember, you know, that the God of Yahweh and the God of Israel had proved victorious over Baal and all the false gods. 
And so here's Elijah. Yep, this is going to happen now. Everybody's going to turn back. And sure enough, there he meets Queen Jezebel that says, you're going to die. No, we're not changing our mind. It doesn't matter what happened. Nope, sorry, you're going to die. Seeing God for who he really is, rediscovering God's purpose for your life. And after, of course, he went out into the wilderness and after he went out into the cave, the Lord spoke to him in the still, small whisper of a voice and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I've got more for you. And that enters into that last one, getting involved with people again. Sometimes in circumstances to get out of our discouragement, we need to understand that the world's bigger than just us. And the Lord's like, Elijah, stop throwing yourself a big pity party saying, you're the only one left. Nobody else cares. And you'd rather die than do anything else. God says, I've still got a plan for you. And you know what? It doesn't revolve around just you. And for him, it was look outside of your circumstance and what were the assignments that were given in 1 Kings chapter 19. It was go and anoint this king and anoint this king and pour into the next prophet named Elisha, who's going to, as you disciple him and as you help him, he's going to carry along the message along with these other good kings and along with thousands of other people that I've got reserved, hello, that you don't even know about, so my work is moving ahead and you hiding away and throwing yourself a pity party isn't doing any good. It's an incredible comeback story. And we've got some of those within this body of believers as well. And I want you to hear what it looked like and what it felt like as they experienced some of these things to varying degrees. There's a number of people that we could have invited up here, but we chose each of these. And honestly, they are showing an incredible amount of bravery and courage to come up here and share from their story and let you into their lives. This is not easy especially when you're talking about valleys and difficult times and difficult experiences. But maybe to start out, why don't you just tell us who you are and how long you've been a part of Northwest Community Church. I am Shannon Amen, and I'm married to David Amen, and we have been here serving with Northwest for about eight and a half years. I'm Ronnie Lau. I've been coming off and on for almost the beginning, but most regularly for like the last four years. I'm Charlie Rogers, and my wife Susan and I have been attending since 2007. I serve as a life group leader and I serve on the elder team. 2007, pretty much since the beginning. So Shannon is married to David, as she mentioned. He's on staff with us at Northwest. He's the brains behind everything that goes on, pretty much. Yeah, and Ronnie... I've known for, for many, many years, and Brian as well. We served together with Ronnie and with Charlie, actually, as um, student ministry leaders when Brian and I worked together at Colonial Baptist Church. So my relationship with these two guys goes extremely deep, and Shannon has been a blessing to our family with our friendship, and I really appreciate all you guys being up here. So one of the things that we talk about at any level, again, no matter where you are on the spectrum of your dealing with discouragement and depression and that sort of things, one of the things that we talk about is typically the spiral begins downward when we start believing lies. Okay, the book of John chapter 8 verse 44 says that the enemy, Satan, is a liar. And I love what the NIV says. It says, when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. 
So we know that Jesus is truth, right? He said, I am the way and the truth in the life. We know that God's word is truth and the enemy and that influence of his whisper in our mind is constantly to deceive us and to lie to us. It talks in Revelation chapter 12 that day and night before the throne of God, the enemy is hurling accusations at believers. And as you trace Satan and his influence all throughout scripture, you see that constantly. He's deceptive. He'll have a little tiny bit of truth in there, but has a way to weasel around and just kind of get you off track. And one of the things that I think is really important for us as we think about circumstance and situation is this idea about lies and what lies were you believing at some of these moments of darkness. So Shannon, starting with you, why don't you explain exactly what the situation was where you really found yourself struggling and then maybe just answer that question. What lies were you believing at that moment from the enemy? To just give you a little context, I was diagnosed with a clinical depression in high school, just a lot of family trauma. Kind of hung around through college, thought I had dealt with it as best as I knew how. After my firstborn, Isaac, who's the awesome four-year-old back there, was diagnosed with PPD. So that's a little bit of the context of where I'm coming from this morning, talking about depression, just so you know. I'm a word picture person. I learn visually, so I want you to have a picture in your mind of what it's like for those lies to come at you. You've all experienced Satan's whispers, but for me specifically, if you can imagine a little kid drowning and fighting as hard as they can against ocean waves, but the waves just keep hitting and the water just keeps getting deeper and they're fighting as hard as they possibly can, but they cannot get themselves up for a breath of air. That's what it was like to fight through lies. My journal from that time frame. I hope will never be published because it's really, really sad things that were overwhelming my mind and heart. But specific ones that were all over it were, I'm all alone. David's going to get kicked off church staff. I'm the only believer who feels this way. There's something very messed up about me. I cannot do this job and I'm a horrible mom. I've already messed up my kids. What if God can't help me? For me, a lot of you know this, but on March 20th, 2015, my wife, Sue, of almost 40 years, went home to be with the Lord. She suffered a battle with cancer for a couple of years. She knew she was going to die. Gave us a lot of opportunities to talk and discuss about hard things. And, and I had prepared myself during those long days of what it might be like when she was gone. And we would talk about that. She would make me tell her what my day was going to look like. She would constantly ask me that almost daily. Now tell me what your day's going to look like. I had it in my mind what I thought it would be. But when she took that last breath, it was like somebody slammed a steel door in my face and everything that was in my head just went away. I found myself kind of trying to um, not be involved with anything because when I saw people I knew, it just brought back too many hard memories. And I, I got a couple of journal excerpts I just kind of want to read you so you kind of know where I was. On May 6th, I wrote, today has been an extra hard day. Today is Judah B's third birthday. That's my grandson. I kept thinking, the reality is he won't remember her. Trying to pick up a present and then wrap it another first. It just seems to be getting harder and harder. And now I'm writing this. As I'm writing this, 10,000 Reasons comes on Pandora, which is a song that we sang at Sue's service. Just not sure how many tears I have left today. 
The next day I wrote, another day of crying most of the day. This morning at Thursday morning meeting with Charlie and Don and Brian, I just started crying. And then Charlie said, let's just pray. And we did. Then on the 14th of May, I'd had a pretty good morning. And then I, in my journal I wrote, then I came home and I started cleaning out the kitchen. It was like somebody had just flipped a switch. My world went from, I think I'm okay, to go back right back to the pit. Hmm. Just like that. And then Charlie texted me and said, hey, come on to the softball game with Susan and I. And I kind of blew him off and said I just couldn't. I just couldn't quit crying. But then they stopped by later that evening after the game and brought by uh, pound cake and some strawberries. And I was still crying. And he prayed with me then. In the journal I wrote, this is just how it's going to be, I guess. So I think for me the lie was I had decided that I would go to work, I would come home, I would cry until I could go to sleep because I knew if I could just get to sleep, then the next morning would come and I could just start over. And I would do that until the Lord came and got me. And I, and I had convinced myself that that was okay. My kids would call me two or three times a day, each of them, and they were encouraging and try to lift me up. But at home, I was just in a deep, deep pit. I guess my story is a little bit different. I've struggled with discouragement for some time. And my wife, Susan, would say depression. And I can't pinpoint the trigger to that. It's a combination of things. If you want to hear a man who has purpose, talk to a, an army guy who's in combat. He has true purpose or he feels that he does. Transition out of the military was tough for me because a transition into sales and selling widgets, right? It doesn't mean anything compared to army life. So that, I lost my job one year. I helped a startup that went okay for a while and then turned south and then I started another startup by myself and that failed. During that time, my son got sick. For me, the battle is a combination of things that sort of tip the scales and feels weighty, too much to bear. The lies that I believe or struggle with, what good are you? You have no purpose. God is not with you. You can't handle this. You're a failure. You're a fake. I wonder, honestly, Charlie, if everyone here were honest and they were to take out a blank sheet of paper and were to say, what is the enemy saying to me? What, I, what lies am I believing right now? You're not going to be alone in those things that you wrote down. I think there's a ton of people, this guy included, that struggle with that stuff and that's the most insidious part of it that we have to fight is that when Satan speaks lies, that's his native tongue. And we need to combat that with truth. And I know it's not as simple as that, but I know that that is certainly one of the things that God's used in each of your lives, even with some of these lies that you've mentioned, that you've combated those with scripture. So along those lines, Shannon, what's something that you really held on to at that moment, scripture, truth, that the Spirit used in your life to kind of help you overcome? It took a while for my mind to be able to hold on to anything. When you're in a deep pit like that, uh, logic actually doesn't really sink in. And so there were two songs that were the first things that I could finally hear God whisper to my heart. If you know the song, The God of Angel Armies is... Always By Your Side by Chris Tomlin. Rich Mullins has a song, Hold Me Jesus Cause I'm Shaking Like a Leaf. You've been my king of glory, won't you be my prince of peace? And I would play those two songs on repeat and just weep. Isaac probably thinks they're lullabies because I sang them all day long. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would say that fighting for truth to actually penetrate my heart. If you have a friend who's in CrossFit or if you yourself are in CrossFit, it felt like doing a CrossFit workout with an amputated limb. I had to fight with my entire being to hold on to a piece of truth. It's like you think it's not supposed to be like that, but when the lies are that bad and it's that deep, it really is that hard of a fight. I have the most depressing lifers. <laughs> Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. It truly is one of my top five life verses because I know it to be true. Mm. I know that he is near in the very darkest pit. I know that he's kind and he's comforting. And I know that Jesus is my peace. But I would not have known that had he not shown up for me in that pit. For me, um, you know, one of the hardest things was to come home to a quiet house. It was just, I would try to schedule my, my business trips where I'd be out of town. And when I'd get out of town, I'd wonder why I was there and want to be home. And there were a couple of times I'd actually just check out of the motel and drive home. And I'd get home and wonder why I'm home. And it was just hard. Coming home to a quiet house was terrible. So I started playing Pandora pretty much 24-7. I would do my pacing through our dining room and living room and just listening to just flooding my head with truth and then started trying to, to do that again with like podcast. But it was very difficult because it wouldn't take but just a moment, it seemed like, of not having that poured over my head for, for the evil one just to kind of get a foothold in there and start convincing you that, hey, this is it. This is your life. Just mm. get used to it. Mm. And that's kind of what you would come to. Again, my kids were extremely supportive, but you know, they're grieving their mom too. But they would both encourage me and even this morning, I have to tell you, I stood back there in the corner before the first service and was crying and didn't think I could do this because it's just hard. And so, and I hadn't told my kids about today because I didn't want to share it with them that I would be up here because today is their mom's birthday. Hmm. And I just thought, I can't do that to them. But I needed to let them know because I needed their prayers, right? So I texted both of them real quickly. And immediately, both just start firing back texts of encouragement and just saying, Dad, you can do this. This is exactly what Mom would want. There are mm -hmm. people out there that need to know. There are people that need to know your story. God has done a tremendous work in your story, mm -hmm. and they like that. And then my son shows up for the second service. He lives an hour or so away. So that's how they were to me, but, and that's the kind of the encouragement I would get. But I didn't do a good job of receiving encouragement from a lot of people here, to be honest with you. I know Brad Evans, I see him sitting here. He contacted me constantly wanting to have, have lunch with me or a coffee because he'd been through the same thing just a year previous, and I just didn't want to be with people. Hmm. Charlie's the same way. Susan, Brian Hoyg, Brian, Jerry, Matt, just did not want to be around people. It was just too hard. But music and truth seemed to at least give me comfort. Awesome. Me, the lives that uh, I struggle with all have to do with my relationship with God, my purpose, my value, and him being there for me. So I try to focus on verses that equip me and encourage me. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 talks about waiting on God and him renewing our strength. Joshua 1, 9 talks about him always being with us no matter where we are. And John 16, 33, let me read that. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, meaning hard times, suffering. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Those are incredible reminders. 
Some of you guys will notice on our graphic that we chose for this comeback story series, it's very purposeful. It's a giant ladder that goes down into a pit and there's kind of light up above. And that's kind of the motif that we wanted to use as we talk about comeback stories. It's, you know what, everybody's been down in some sort of situation, but there is a way out and it's not an elevator, it's not an escalator. Sometimes, you know, you just have to take steps up and, and all of our lives need to be a ladder to other people, right? Like we see other people and to put a ladder down there to bring them up where you are and constantly be looking to continue to get closer and closer to God is something that we all need. So, so my question for you is what were the actual action steps that helped you climb out of that pit at that moment in that valley? And we recognize full well that, that for many people it's not like, okay, yes, I'm better now. You know, everything's great. I mean, this is a constant everyday struggle that we're still very aware of, but you can look back to where you were at your worst and what are the things that allowed you to climb up out of that? Well, with PPD as my most recent encounter with depression, first, I mean, a godsend was doctors and medicine. I needed that desperately for my family to be okay. And real quick, I think everybody knows this, but PPD is postpartum oh. depression, which is a, so, something that, that affects a lot of newborn mothers. Fourth trimester yeah. of your newborn stage that you go into it with expectations of being beautiful and amazing and bonding with your baby. I didn't think I was bonding. My baby couldn't eat, kept losing weight, insomnia, panic attacks, just spiraled. It was really scary and really dark. I didn't know I had a propensity to it, but we learned afterward that I have a biological makeup that my mind needs the medicine to help function, especially in those types of situations. Mm. So that was the first part of finding some kind of ability to actually breathe again. I had to learn how to rest and actually hear God's voice. I didn't know before all of this that I'm actually an introvert and I really energize being in creation and being alone with God. That was a hard road for me to learn with David and full-time ministry and we have people in and out and I really love people, but I was actually so very drained because I wasn't giving myself the time alone that I needed just me and God in creation, just wrestling through stuff with him. And that was a big learning curve for me. I also learned that sometimes I just need a nap. I need a bouquet of flowers and a really good meal. And I'm like the godliest person you know after that. With God's word, like we're talking about for holding on to truth, you cannot face depression by yourself. I don't care if you're the most introverted person in this auditorium and you want to sit in the very back row up there because I have sat in that row and sobbed through services. Sundays can be the very hardest day of the week when you are depressed or anxious. Being staff wife, being depressed. <laughs> I would have rather not come for six months than come because I didn't, well, I didn't want my husband to get kicked off. They asked me up here, so I guess he's not being kicked off staff. Um, but that it's would, That scary. would be rather disastrous. It would be pretty bad. But I need people. And while, yes, I'm an introvert and I need creation in God's word and worship, I have a short list. And there are women on that list that they know the ins and outs of who I am. They know the unbiblical parts of me that I am still wrestling through with God and my doubts and my questions and that I don't know what the future is going to look like. They know what my fears are. They know where I've walked. I just have to send a text. Just one little flare. I'm not okay today. Because this is something I'm going to battle probably. I mean, God can do anything. But at this point, I know 
that this is going to be part of my story and I'm going to have to fight every day to hold on to truth. And so I need women who are fighting with me and for me and will pick me up when I cannot pick myself up. I guess for me, uh, as I, I hadn't really gone back and reviewed my first journal when I first started journaling and I noticed when I was looking over the last few days that there were many, many, many days that were more sorrowful than happy, and most hours that way is too. So, But I do remember there was a point where I started realizing that I was continuing to spiral downward, and it wasn't good. I knew what depression looked like. Sue had battled anxiety and depression most of her adult life. In fact, when I hear depression, it's kind of bittersweet for me because what God did was he used her depression to bring me to him. On one day where she was probably at her deepest point in depression, I realized I needed a Savior, and I needed to trust God, and I needed him. And I prayed that, I prayed that prayer that day. Depression, like I said, is kind of bittersweet for me, but I knew what depression looked like from, from uh, having lived with Sue for 40 years. And I could see myself starting to, grief and depression can look very similar sometimes in life. And I could see myself kind of going down that way. One of the things that Pastor Brian mentioned last week that really hit home for me was you forget what you used to do or what God used to use you for. And that's kind of what had happened. I'd learned, I'd taught myself to not remember. A point in, during this, I remember thinking, I need to get plugged back in because I'd kind of unplugged for several years and I just needed to give back because I know that's what brought me joy. I sat down uh, one Sunday afternoon after a church service and I, I wrote this email to Angie, who is uh, our director of Quest Kids, and I said, I'm not sure what the process or requirements are, but I would like to help on the, for the summer for, with Northwest Kids if you need help. As you can imagine, my time is extremely flexible. I could do either hour and I can change that on a moment's notice. The only weeks I know that I won't be able to help are the 21st and 28th of June. I could either help in classes or help with any kind of setup or takedown. I'm not an official member of Northwest Community Church yet, but plan to attend a membership class. Sue and I just never got around to that. So as I mentioned, I'm available for the summer other than those two Sundays. Even if I'm not signed up for a Sunday and you have a last-minute cancellation, just call me and I would be glad to fill in. Below is my phone number. Hmm. I entered in my journal that night about writing that email, and I thought what I wrote was it felt good. And so I remembered, again, what God had, had made me to do, he gifted me with, and to get back on that horse again, it felt good. Hmm. And so then later in the summer, Northwest did Serve Your City, and I was so excited, you know, because I knew I was getting to the point where I, I was starting to realize that Doing serving and giving back was something I found joy in because that's what both depression and grief will do, and that's how they're similar is they rob you of joy. I signed up for everything for the week. Yeah. You know? Serve your city is kind of like we were just talking about what we're doing next weekend at yeah. Carolina Preserve, just serving different families and households. Yeah, and we were doing like, yeah, it was an all-week thing. So Monday night we were spreading mulch here. Wednesday night I did something. I can't even remember what it was. Friday night we had a big outreach where we – yeah, you know, I did the setup and the takedown, and then Saturday morning came, and that was the uh, Carolina Preserve, which I had signed up for. And I get there in the parking lot, and Tom Croft is reading off the names, and he reads my name and Bill and his son's name, and then he goes, Debbie Jackson. And I'm going, huh, you know, Brian had something to do with that, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> 
And so uh, we got teamed up on the same team, yeah. and uh, a couple of months later, actually started dating. And April 2nd, we celebrated our first anniversary. And so I look back through my journals and how God has used so much of depression and grief to, uh, to let me know he's not done with me yet. You know, and, and the bottom line is with Jesus, your story never ends. I can't underscore enough um, just how important it is and why, Ronnie, I'm so glad you agreed to come up here and share this part of your story. Is It was that point where he realized that there's more than, than just me. And I'm grieving and sorrowing, and that is perfectly normal. But to step back into ministry and start pouring into other people can, can be so healing in so many ways. And that's, that's what we see illustrated right here, right? With Elijah to get back out in the game and, and God still had stuff for him to do. And I've loved seeing how God has used you with my daughter back there and so many others. So with my action steps, again, I, I said I don't know what triggered everything. I also need to tell you that it's not done. I struggle with this on a constant basis. So I look at my action steps in dealing with discouragement, depression, like hygiene. Like I wake up in the morning, I take a shower, brush my teeth, clean up. I'm clean. Tomorrow, I am not. I have to do the same thing. And dealing with depression is similar to that. And that there are, dis I think there are disciplines that we need to do to prevent, hopefully, us falling too low and to help bring us up when we get there. First one, I put surround myself with encouragement and accountability, the, you know, resources that God gives us. I'm in a life group. I've been in several really good life groups. When my son got sick, the first call was to my life group. We met at Laird Hepburn's house. My first call was to him and Monica picked up and I shared with them and they mobilized that force to support us and then I called Brian. When I lost my job, I called Brian. I meet with a couple of guys every week. I meet with a guy on Wednesday for several years, guy on Friday for almost 20 years. I meet with three boneheads on Thursday and my family. You know, Susan and I have learned to share some of my weakness with my wife and with my kids. Second thing, I try to get alone time with God. Brian talked about that with Elijah's time in 1 Kings where he finally got to hear the whisper of God. After the wind, after the fire, he heard the whisper. I like this song by Third Day called Still Listening. It's an old song, but it's about that. A couple of things in the middle of the night. I don't sleep well due to some health issues, uh, so everybody's asleep. Sometimes I get to spend some time on the floor on my knees with God. The other thing my family laughs at, but an event or an activity that I like to do and get benefit from, I learned from Gordon McDonald in one of his books, is to try to spend some time alone with God in, in an away place. So I turn off my phone, turn off my radio, and I drive to Uwari National Forest, hour and a half, two hours away. I always carry three by five cards with me, and I lay them down. And, and the whole purpose is to tr as I drive there in silence is to offload what's in my head onto paper so I don't have to remember it in my head. And that's an exercise time management people talk about as well. But by the time I get there, hopefully my mind is empty of things that, you know, i got to remember this when I get back or work on Monday says this. Or, and I take a day pack with water, my Bible, my journal, and I just hike. And sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's four hours. Eventually, I'm alone with God. And if you want to realize purpose and love, 
you'll get to that place. And it's hard in this world because we're distracted all the time at work, at home. If it takes getting to Yuari National Forest and walking around, do that. Don't take your dog. I tried that. It doesn't work. Another thing would be remember. Both Shannon and Ronnie talked about their journals. I tried a journal. That's a strength when you're struggling to look back upon the things. Another bullet point. See God for who he is. God does tremendous things through us, through me, through this body. And I've made a list of those through journaling. And the last one Jerry and Ronnie talked about is serving. As imperfect as I am, I serve as a life group leader, as an elder, meet with some guys. And the neat thing is during the, a really tough year for me, when I was starting my own company and failed, I met a guy in our church, Kerry Bowman. I got to spend the last year of his life several hours a week with him. That was really special. That's awesome, Charlie. I just think it's so incredible and ironic. You know, as we talked about some people that we think would be great to be up here, that, that both you guys came to mind and didn't even really resonate or connect really until last night as, as you shared some of your journal entries that you sent over to me and what you were going to be sharing this morning. And I realized what an incredible part you played in his life. It's incredible. And the other thing that I want to say to everybody here that like sometimes we feel, or at least as a man, you just kind of get this impression that to show vulnerability or weakness or questions or how we're feeling or whatever we want to say is somehow weak and demeaning. We see in scripture the exact opposite. Even Jesus himself said, hey, friends, I need you to come pray with me. I'm feeling so weak at this hour. Please come stay up with me and pray with me. And we know that secrets are bondage and really it's in sharing what's going on that there truly is freedom. And I just really really appreciate you guys coming up here and sharing and I hope to see this body be one both men and women that are free and that are open with their struggles and they're not afraid to talk about them and not afraid to seek the answers in the power of the cross in the power of Jesus. I don't know where all of this landed on you all these different illustrations up here um, and I don't know what your response is going to be. Right? And that's the beauty of Elijah's story. Is it wasn't chasing after somebody else's experience. It wasn't in high moments you know, of power and everything else. But it was in the quietness, in the stillness that he could hear the whisper of God. So I would just challenge you guys, every single person here this morning as you wrestle with this, to get alone with God's word and let God speak to you. But at the same time, get with other people as well. Share what's going on. Bring other people into the struggle and other people into the story. And this is going to continue to be a place of redemption and comeback stories. Well, I want to share this passage with you as we get ready to close from the book of Romans chapter 8. And it's just such a beloved, cherished promise that God makes to us. Through the Apostle Paul, he says this in, in verse 31. What then shall we say to all of these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Did you hear that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for 
us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I'm telling you this morning, church, that God is for us and God is calling us and God is drawing us. It says in verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, we know that there is somebody, right? Revelation chapter 12, day and night, hurling lies, whispering to some of you on a daily basis with accusations and with lies. We know there's somebody there, right? But it says it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns us? It is Christ Jesus who is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised to life and who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, or powers or height or depth or anything else in all of creation, just to make sure you got the whole entire story, he's saying, I've encompassed it all. I am sure that none of that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't know what your response is to that this morning. Maybe for some there's been some struggles that you've been having that have been revealed because you see yourself in Charlie. A man's man if there ever was one, but you see some of those same lies coming. Or maybe you've had a tragic loss like Ronnie or maybe you've had some issues like Shannon did and was so open and honest about. No matter where you are on that spectrum, there's room at the cross for you, and there's power for you. So I just want to close this with one final thought uh, that came to me this week as we were really honestly praying through this Sunday and what it would look like. And I know we're several weeks removed from Good Friday and Easter and that weekend of sorrow and celebration mingled together, but the image came to me of what happened on that Friday where Jesus was crucified and there on his right and there on his left were, were two criminals. And I thought about the thief that was there and this guy was ultimately at the end of his rope. Right? He's a guy that had done a lot wrong and he'd been arrested and this was the punishment and there he was. Only hours left to live. Failure in life. It's not going anywhere else. And I wonder if he had friends out there, maybe if his mom was over there or dad or relatives or somebody looking up at the epitome of shame and failure. It's just about done. And it was even in that very moment that he was there next to the Son of God who hadn't done anything wrong and, and was looking over at him and saying, this is what I'm doing and I'm actually doing this for you in your sin and in your shame and at your last breath if you will just come and believe. And we know that this thief said, I do believe he is the Christ. And Jesus said, you will be with me today in paradise. Jesus came for the broken, 
for the physically broken, with the lepers and the people that he healed, for the spiritually broken, for the emotionally broken. And man, who are the ones that he was most turned off by? Those ones that appear to have it all together. Everything is great. I know scripture. Life is good. God's happy with me. But man, when we get down to the issues of the heart, that's where Jesus invites us in. I want us to think about that as we stand here together and as we declare this truth that Jesus Christ, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been hearing and believing, is inviting us to experience his love. So let's stand together and let's sing out this declaration of how he loves us.